Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, if you have no idea who I am, if you're new to our church, my name is Dave. I serve as lead pastor here, and we've been going through a a series on the Gospel of John. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at John chapter 8, verse 12. It's very rare that I preach on just one verse, but this morning I'm going to do it. And (laughs) that doesn't mean to be short, it just means I'm going to be very focused. But I'm going to cheat a little because I'm going to start with this one verse, and I will bring in scripture rather than stories to primarily illustrate. Uh, what is being said. Having said that, I'm going to start with the story right after I read the passage. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Some of you know that when we started the church, I was bivocational. I was working in the corporate world uh, for Loyola University Health System. And um, my office happened to be in a beautiful corner suite in the newly constructed $50 million medical school complex. It was a beautiful office. have no idea how I landed it. But they were doing a lot of construction in the area at the time. And something must have happened because one night, it was typical when I was in that job, This is why I feel so much for those of you stuck in the corporate grind. It was very common for me to be at work at like 11 at night. No choice. I had to get stuff done, and I was robbing my family, but I was going to lose my job if I didn't stay at it. And So one night, I was there around 11 p.m., wishing I was not there. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. It's one thing when the lights just go out in your house. I could deal with that. But I was in the bowels of this huge building, and when I looked out, I realized it wasn't just our building that lost power. It was the whole area. That section of the grid went out for some reason. The lights in the parking lot were out. The neighboring buildings were dark. And for that split second before the emergency generators kicked in and the emergency lights kicked on, I was plunged in total darkness, and it was so weird. Now, I'm sure there are some out there, but I've never met a kid who's afraid of light. Like, they're dreading the morning. But I've met a lot of kids who are scared of the dark. And I don't know if we ever really outgrow it. It was a very eerie experience, because I I realized now that the power's out, um, the outlets don't work. There's emergency lighting, just enough to get out of the building, but I was done for the day. So I'm packing up my stuff, and I realize I don't think there's anyone else in my wing. And all the horror movies I foolishly watched when I was younger started to creep in, and I'm carrying my bag, and I realize this is a familiar workplace, a building I've walked through a thousand times. And I was like this. I had my back to the wall. I looked so... If the lights came on and other people walked in, I would have looked so stupid. I'm like... And I I realized there's something about the dark that is instinctually, universally, it's threatening. There's something about it that we generally regard as not welcome. 
Obviously, there are times when the dark is needed. It's welcomed when we're trying to sleep, when we're trying to watch a movie, when we're trying to get away with something naughty. Like, we want it to be darker. But most of the time, we're drawn to light. Darkness is okay for a moment, but if it lasts and lasts. Let me give you an illustration of that. This is a town called Barrow, Alaska. They changed it to a, uh, a new name, which I cannot pronounce. But for the longest time, it's called Barrow. It's the northernmost populated city in uh, Alaska. And during the winter months, from about late November to late January, for 65 days, once the sun sets, it does not come up again. We're talking about 65 days of consecutive night. This picture could have been taken at 12 noon, and you wouldn't know. And what they say is when that happens, without any sort of coordination, the whole town just falls into a funk, and they wait and wait for the sun to come back. And when it does, there's a three-day celebration. People just party. Now, that tells me something about our natural disposition towards dark rather than light. And when I describe a town like that, how many of you are ready to pack your bags and be like, yes, a place where 65 days of the year, it's dark 24-7, sign me up. I, I see that and I think there's no way I can make it in a place like that. That would just be so depressing. How many of you have seasonal affective disorder or a facsimile thereof? Yeah. So these shorter days are already getting to me a little bit. I don't like when it's dark at 5 p.m. That's something that just feels wrong. And so you can imagine that there's something built into us that I believe God deposited that draws us towards light. It says that Jesus began to speak again, and the setting we find ourselves in is it's during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is where we left a couple sermons ago. It's a huge festival, one of the greatest celebrations in the life of the Jews. And he was teaching in the temple. Interestingly, he was teaching in an area of the temple known as the Court of the Women. It was that area, the furthest into the temple, that women could go. And beyond that point, men only. Which is just, if you think about it, thank God it's not like that. How would you ladies like to feel like that? Men can come in here. A few ladies would just line up by the windows out there and look in through the peepholes. Can you imagine that? So Jesus goes out to the court of the women, and he chooses that place to teach so he could reach everybody. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen every night was as the sun was setting, four enormous candelabras would be lit. Okay, And these candles, they, these candelabras were very, very tall. They extended nearly to the top of the wall of the temple. And once they were lit, they would cast a blazing glow. Here's a, a, a picture, a, a, a depiction that simulates what that looked like. And ancient historians have recorded that when those candelabras were lit, you could see the light from every point in the city. In fact, it was so bright, it looked like a spotlight aiming right up to the sky. And the people were so glad to have this light that would push back the night that for the entirety of the evening, these dignified elders of the community and everybody else with them, from children all the way to the oldest, most dignified person, would sing and dance and party under the light of those giant torches. Many of them would have torches in their hands as they spun around singing 
praises to God and just a joy and a celebration, remembering what those candelabras symbolized when God led them in the darkness of the wilderness through a pillar of fire. When they knew in a most visible way that God was with them and God was leading them. And it was against this backdrop of celebration that Jesus makes this really bold statement. I am the light of the world. You guys are so happy over some torches that around the third watch of the night are going to be extinguished. Eventually, the lights go out. The party ends. Everyone's got to clean up and go home. But I'm bringing a light that will never be extinguished. And so Jesus says against this backdrop that if you are drawn to light, you need to know that what he is, who he is, is the great light for the whole of the world. It's a really dark world. And what I find so interesting at the very start of the Bible is as we drop in on a thing we couldn't have seen in person, but the Lord has preserved for us, is this record of what it was like when he was making everything. And the description is this. In the very beginning, darkness was the default. Apart from the intervention of God, darkness is what should be, what is. Darkness doesn't take effort. It is what naturally exists in our universe apart from God. And it says the earth was formless and empty and, listen to this, Darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Apart from the intervention of God, there is darkness. And that is what is natural. It is what we should come to expect in this universe. And it is God who by his command and intervention brings light. We have this utopian, naive assumption that we're supposed to live in light, unicorns and rainbows, just as an entitlement. I don't know what universe you woke up in this morning, but we live in a universe where darkness is the default. And apart from God, light should not be expected. We're certainly not entitled to it. We add every day to the darkness more than we add to the light. Is that not true of us? Maybe just me. <laughs> like, you speak for yourself, bad man. But the truth is, most days, we add more to the dark than to the light. And yet we expect that our lives should be lit up like our homes at Christmas. Jesus tells the truth. He said, you walk in darkness apart from me. But take heart. I am the true light. I'm coming into the world. And I will be the light for all of mankind. That motif of darkness and light runs through every religion recorded in history. And it's certainly a very rich imagery throughout Judaism and Christianity. And darkness, in general, speaks to that state where God is not reigning, where things are breaking, where things are not the way they're supposed to be. And that comes in many forms. I don't want to be exhaustive about it, but what Jesus is saying is, Think about the form of darkness that you rail against all the time. That expression of the darkness of the world that keeps butting up against you all the time. And he says, into that darkness, I'm bringing light. This isn't just some ethereal, 
philosophical statement. It's real. Every day, you and I run up against darkness of one kind or another. We know that to be true. For some of us, it's what we see on the Internet or in the world around us and the other drivers. But for some of us, it's much more close and personal. It's intimate. Things that are supposed to be good are falling apart right in front of us. There's a darkness all around us, and then when we look in, we're surprised and dismayed to find that there's a great darkness inside of us too. Honest people find it hard to be proud because honest people look in and realize, I am much darker than I want to play myself off to be. And so Jesus says, into that expression of darkness which you can fully identify with. I bring light. Into the darkness of falsehood, he brings the light of truth. Don't you get so frustrated when lies get passed off as truth? Have you ever been the victim of a rumor, a vicious rumor, that had no basis in truth, in reality? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been intentionally deceived by someone? And when we run up against the darkness of lies and ignorance and falsehood, Jesus says, that can be overwhelming, but take heart, I bring the light of truth. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5, 8-9. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Listen to this. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Whereas without Jesus, lies would be the native language of the world. Truth is possible only because of God. Into the darkness of sin, Jesus brings the light of holiness. And sin feels good for a moment when you're the one committing it. But it never feels good when you're the one it's being committed against, does it? Sin brings darkness. And that's why right after you sin, if you have any shred of a conscience left, what immediately follows the euphoria and pleasure of sin is this wave of self-loathing and guilt, of disgust and revulsion. Can I get an amen or something? You, you guys, are you with me? I'm trying to be honest here about how I experienced the aftermath of sin in my life. Right after sin, what do you feel? It's the most honest moment. No one else is there pointing a finger at you. You're looking at yourself and go, that really sucks, man. That, that is so messed up. Why would I think that or feel that or say that or do that? And we know right away, sin is darkness. And into that darkness, we wish some light would punch through. John would write in the Gospel of And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The darkness of sin would be all that we know. It would be a brutal, violent world apart from the flicker of light that Jesus brings into the world. 
into the darkness of sorrow. We speak of things like the long, dark night of the soul. Some of us are in that right now. We are confronted with a sadness and a grief so deep, and in some cases so permanent because the source of that grief has moved on out of our lives, has left a huge gaping wound and moved on, and we're left dealing with a bleeding wound in our soul. A loss, a grief, a pain, a betrayal so deep we've never recovered from it. We've heard so many people try to tell us platitudes and encouragements, but it doesn't seem to break through. The darkness of sorrow can grip a soul like a hostage and not let go. And into that sorrow that is so strong, Jesus says, behold, I'm bringing the light of joy. The angels, in announcing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem that first Christmas, said, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And listen, many will rejoice because of his birth. Now listen, I'm not going to debate with you whether joy is in your life right now. You may not see the light of joy in your life. But take heart. That joy which is not seen in your life right now exists in this universe, and it entered it through Jesus. And that truth, regardless of what your story is looking like right now, that truth is enough to hold on and to have hope. Too often we get it backwards and we decide whether or not God is good based on our lives. We have to find hope because God is unfailingly good. We wait for his goodness to show up. Joy does exist. I know it may not exist in your experience, in your circumstances right now, but it entered the world through Jesus. It is there to be found. That is the light of joy that enters a world steeped in the darkness of sorrow. Some of us have really confronted, been pounded by the darkness of death or even by the darkness of the specter of death. Some of us can't sleep at night because we know that death is such a reality. And into the darkness of death, Jesus brings the light of life. I used to hear things like that when I was younger. And if I'm really being honest, I thought when I was like in my 20s that I'm just going to live forever. And I'm always going to feel awesome. I spent the first 30 years of my life physically feeling unbelievable. Just every day I woke up, I'm like, oh man, it feels so good. I feel like I could touch the sky if I jumped. As I get older, these words have greater meaning for me because I feel it. I'm becoming something of a hypochondriac in my older years, and I think every day someone describes a disease, I'm like, I am pretty sure I have that. My mortality is an everyday reality. I'm realizing I'm not going to be around forever anymore. I don't feel like I could touch the sky. Jesus says, in him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. The light emanates out of the life. And here's one that's especially meaningful in our world today. Into the darkness of hate, Jesus brings the light of love. You have heard 
that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is all I see today in our world. It seems that everybody is countering hate with counter-hate. It's nothing more, nothing better than we see in the savanna, out in the open wild, in the jungles and forests of our world, among the animals. It's nothing more than we see in gang warfare. You diss me, I'll diss you. You shot me, I'll shoot you. It takes nothing special, no special extra human power to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is what every living creature by instinct does. And it just adds more to the net sum of hatred in the world than anything else. Jesus brings a radical new idea. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Instead of returning hate with counter-hate, you return hate with love. That's a radical new idea, and that idea is the only idea that has ever pushed back the darkness of hate. Read your history. You'll know that it's true. So maybe as you hear that, there's this agreement that that is true intellectually, but it doesn't feel true in the real world. Do you ever feel like that, guys at church? That you hear things from up here that sound true in theory, but are really not true. And you, maybe you even thought this to yourself, he must live in a really weird world where everything's so religious and clean and tidy, but he doesn't live in our world. Now, I live in your world. My life, it's not that clean. It's not that tidy. There are times when the darkness, and maybe, maybe more so in my experience than yours, because it's not just my own darkness that I bear witness to. I get a front row seat to the collective darkness of a community. I hear things and see things that I can't erase from my memory. I have no illusions about what our world is like. I have no illusions that I'm looking out at a room full of healthy, normal people. That for some of us right now, we're dying inside. That your life could be described to others as hell. I know that's true. I'm trying to be careful not to look too... too (laughs) but I know for a fact some of us right now in this moment, that's true. And some days, it feels very much like the darkness is going to win. Do you agree with me? Some days. You look out there and you go, "The, the magnitude of it, the depth of it, the widespread nature of it, it doesn't feel like God is going to win. It feels like the darkness always seems to get the last round. But John says of Jesus that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. I got a very memorable experience of this, a demonstration of this principle, back in the summer of 1985. My younger brother Steve was training with a ministry called Teen Missions International, and he was going to Kenya. It would be a fateful trip for him because it was on that trip that he met a medical missionary way out in the bush in Kenya who inspired him to set his life's calling. 
And they trained in the bogs of Merritt Island, Florida. And after I graduated high school, I drove 24 hours with my mom straight to this place to attend his commissioning service. And the commissioning service took place at night out in the, the marshland. They erected this humongous, I've just, it's like a circus tent. It was the biggest tent I had ever seen outside a circus. And hundreds of us were huddled in, in chairs inside this tent. And with the tent blocking out the light of the stars and the moon, it was pretty dark. There were some lights go- going on, but at this one point in the ceremony, without any warning, they cut all the lights And suddenly we were plunged into the thickest, inkiest dark I've ever experienced. I don't know if you've ever had a darkness where you held up your hand and you couldn't see anything. I understand in a closet or something that might be possible, but I was outside in a giant cavernous space with hundreds of people and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was such an oppressive, it was like just dark. And then somewhere across that space, One teenager took out a lighter and lit a candle, just one candle. And and I remember thinking, isn't that weird? This darkness felt like a tangible presence, something palpable, physical. But one measly, and these were not like blackout candles. They were birthday candles, little tiny things. He lit this one candle, and everyone immediately turned and saw it. And that vast amount of darkness could not smother one measly flame. And then, as a physical symbol of what missions and evangelism is, they began, and I didn't realize this, but all the the missionaries in training had candles, and they began to pass their flame from one candle to the next. And at the end of it, hundreds of little candles were lit, and the room was blazing with light. It was one of the most tremendous things I've ever seen and experienced. And I just remember thinking what a clear demonstration that is of this principle. And if you look at the dictionary, if you study physics at all, you know that darkness is not a thing. It doesn't have substance. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. There's no switch where you can fill the room with dark. Turn on the dark. Do you notice that? You can't fill a room with dark. All you can do is block out the light. That is what darkness is. Darkness is the absence of light. That is all that it is. It feels so powerful, but a small candle can defeat it. Darkness can feel overwhelming when there is no light, but it doesn't take much light to beat the darkness, no matter how great it is. One little anonymous Chinese guy with a briefcase standing in front of a tank One person who has the courage to defy a government that seems to have infinite power. One person who hides a Jew in a cellar in the midst of the Holocaust. You think it takes giant power to defeat giant power. It takes a spark. That's it. No matter how great the darkness seems, the darkness is not a real thing. It is the absence of something real. And the minute that real thing enters the picture, that darkness is seen for what it is. It is an emptiness. It's not a presence. It's easy to lose heart and believe that the darkness wins. But the one who tells us he is the light of the world isn't just saying, I'm a light. He is the light. 
In fact, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, listen to these powerful words to describe the, the, the age to come, what heaven will be like. It says, and night will be no more. In part, paradise is described as the banishment of darkness, as the banishment of night. From now on, nothing will ever extinguish the light. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God himself, his very presence generates light. And they will reign forever and ever. That is our eternal hope. That one day, we will be done with darkness forever. There will be none left. Because God will shine unobstructed for eternity. And if darkness is the absence of light, then where God reigns without hindrance, it can never be dark again. That's why beautifully it says also in that chapter, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more goodbyes. Everything that dragged us down here will be gone there. I don't know why we depict heaven as fat babies with wings playing harps on clouds. If that were it, that would be more like hell than heaven. How boring. If that's all it is, forget it. Heaven is the banishment of all the dark that scooped us out on the inside. Now, we've got to get back to John eight twelve to finish. And I want you to notice something. This beautiful juxtaposition of light versus dark, of life and death, that isn't something we just get casually. He says that in order to have this light, the one requirement is to follow him. It's to follow him. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That word that's translated into English as follow, akulatheo, it's a Greek word that can be a casual following, like, hey, would you follow me on Instagram? How many of you guys follow someone on Instagram or Twitter? Do you actually follow them? Like, whatever they say, I will do. You just follow them casually, like, yeah, I'll see what you got to say. I'll give you thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. It's so casual. And that is the same word they use for that casual level of following. But it's also a word used for some of the most profound levels of following ever recorded. Look what Jesus says. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. In other words, and I've said this to many of you, if you want to be a, a Christ follower, you have to follow Christ. It's not a Census Bureau checkbox. You don't say, well, I'm a Christ follower. That's not some designation. It's an act, a statement of truth. To be a Christ follower, you must go where he is. Follow him. That is not a simple thing. It's a huge calling and a big, big responsibility. In Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is not exactly um, low barrier of entry, attractional ministry. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What is he saying here in all this? He's not saying that you get the light because you are really committed. He's saying this, you will only get this light if the way you relate to me is in total bondedness. This is not a casual relationship. 
You don't get the joy of marriage by kind of dating a woman for a really long time. You get the joy of... I'm speaking as a man, right? You, you get the joy of marriage by being fully bonded and committed to another person. You're not saying, I kind of like you. Let's see how this works out. You're saying, I belong to you and no other. You fully have me. That is the only time all the descriptions and the poems and the love songs and ballads about how great love is are realized in your life. It's not that you earn the experience of deep, deep intimacy. It's that it's only possible under those terms. No one becomes a pro athlete by dabbling at a sport. They make it look effortless and easy, and sure, they have some genetics that makes them naturally disposed to be great, but you don't see the hours of early rising and the hard work, the repetitive muscle memory exercises they do every day to make it look effortless. We don't lay hold of this light that pushes back the darkness unless we've been so bonded to Jesus that we also lay hold of the life he wants to give us in exchange for the death that we once called life. Do you understand that? You cannot push back the darkness in the world through outrage, through sacrifice, through activism. Nothing will push back the darkness in our world except the life of Jesus beating inside a person in exchange for the life we once called life but was really death. The only way to push back the darkness is to be actually filled with the life of Christ. In other words, we receive his light only when we receive his life. See, this to me is the difference between being awake or, if you like, being woke and being alive. This world is full of woke people. But the difference between being awake and alive is this. When you're awake, you see the contrast between black and white, dark and light, but you don't focus on the right place. And so your being awake usually will lead to more feelings of outrage, fury, frustration, and defeat. You will waver, alternate from total flaming rage to total dead despair. I cannot believe I'm going to do something about this. There's no hope. The idiots run the universe. There's no fighting this power. And do you see that that's what being awake will do for you is it'll make you agitated, but will rob you of any real power to do anything lasting to change. Because change doesn't come from noise, it comes from light. It comes from life. That's why unless you are alive in Christ, you won't be part of the solution. You will just add to noise. You will help dial up the level of anxiety and tension and conflict that is already setting our world on fire. That's what the media does every day. That's what so many of us have witnessed, and that's why we're losing hope in the political system and process. That's why many of us are off of social media, because it's no longer life-giving to read that stuff. It sucks the life out of you to see people just adding to the noise. The only hope to push back the darkness is those who bear the life of Christ, shining the light. I'm not saying there's no place for organized protest, activism. Please don't hear that. But if that's all we have, it's not enough. It will never change the world. Never. The only hope 
for this world is the life of Jesus that emanates light in the midst of the great darkness we see. And so Jesus says, I am the light of life, the light of the world. And because when we come to him and receive that life, his light also enters us, he can say to us in the next breath that you are also the light of the world. When you receive and and walk in the life that Jesus gives you, it's not just that he is the light of the world, but we also become light bearers. Do you understand that? We will help push back the darkness only when the life of Christ is in us. And that light which enters us, that life which enters us, is not a weak light at all. It's a very powerful light. Through that light, he took 12, 11 and a half, okay? <laughs> Matthias was going to like, I, he was like an understudy who was pushed onto the stage opening night, like, hey, dude, Judas is sick. Uh, you got you to gotta be on. So these 12 guys, 11 and a half men, whatever. Sorry, Matthias. I will apologize one day in person. Those guys, along with a ragtag group of about 110 other people, very ordinary, very flawed, very normal human beings. And through them and that light that they bore, through that life that they carried, they sparked the most long-lasting, far-reaching faith movement ever in the history of humanity. If you are a follower of Jesus, you know his name because many people, starting with the most ordinary ragtag group, lived their whole lives sold out to and bearing that light. Our world may seem really, really dark today, but it's not as dark as you think. We keep forgetting that in this dark world, there are billions of light bearers, us. And if we fold up in defeat, we don't realize how much we are on the winning side. There's no need for us to walk in defeat, futility, because the light of Christ overcomes the darkness of the world. I'm saying that to you for the personal darkness you're up against right now, the person you love who cannot seem to break out of their prison who are in the grips of something so strong and nothing you say or do seems to be breaking that shell. And you just feel like you're going to give up. Don't. This world is filled with billions, well, maybe hundreds of millions, of light bearers, people in whom has been deposited the vital, powerful, potent, supernatural life of Christ. And with that life comes light that cannot be overcome. It takes one candle to stand and shine, and a vast darkness is pushed back. I find it fascinating that so much of of what's coming out of Hollywood is this great myth, this subconscious myth, of the lone, small, underestimated figure standing in front of an impossible thing, and and all this power comes out of this little kid. And it's like the repeated story in fiction after fiction coming out of Hollywood. It's as if somewhere in their collective subconscious, they know this is true. 
that even a little light can defeat a great darkness. Some of you are very activated in your soul, in your spirit, by an injustice that exists in our world, a darkness. I want to remind you that the life of Christ in you and that little spark of light is enough to make a difference. It's worth pressing on because the life in you, the light in you, is not something that is weak. I'll finish, I'll leave you with this. The Apostle John, as he was finishing up his life, um, he was in exile and he wanted to encourage a scattered church that was very discouraged because persecution was on the rise. It seemed like everybody who was the enemy of God had more power than those who were the friends of God. And so in these little epistles at the end of the New Testament, he's writing to encourage and instruct a discouraged church. And he says to them in 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children. And that wasn't a demeaning or derogatory phrase. He was saying, this is the way God feels for you. This is the way I feel for you. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. And by them, he's referring to the Antichrist that is rising in the world. To all those aligned with him, the enemies of God, those who have no reverence for God, no awareness of God, those who seem to have all the power and none of the love. And he says, you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't you ever forget that when the darkness seems too great. Whether it's in the person that you live with or in the world that you have to live in. Don't you ever forget that no matter how great the darkness, he who is in you is greater than that darkness. When you think about what Jesus accomplished with 120 ordinary people, when you look around this room of about 120 ordinary people, If we would be bearers of that life and that light, can you imagine the difference that can be made in this world? It doesn't start with wanting to make a difference. It starts with God making a difference in us. So I charge you in the name of Jesus, don't just be awake. Be alive. Be filled with a real light, one that's not easily extinguished one that does not give way to despair and anger, but to hope. I'm going to ask you if you would bow with me. Let's pray together. Some of you don't have to stretch the imagination very far to know that darkness is very real and it feels very powerful. You've been wrestling with it now for a long time and maybe you've come to church this morning on the edge of giving up because that darkness feels more powerful than the light. So in faith, let's dispel that lie right now. The darkness may feel stronger, but it is not stronger. That darkness is not a force or a presence. It is the absence of our God. And if you would invite him to enter into that absent place, even a spark of the light of God 
can defeat that great darkness. If you've come here this morning ready to give up, I encourage you, don't give up. Because the one that's in you is greater than all the darkness that's in the world. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.